Yo, yo, yo. What's up, what's up? We're back. This is actually episode one redo. Yeah. And we're going to do this all over again. Better than we were before. Absolutely. You know? So we're going to get into it right until we get into it. We got five movies. Well, it's actually four, but we got five movies we're going to do. We'll be right back with it. The Groove Pavement. Podcast, talk show, and movie review. Where we break down the black exploitation era, the cinematic genre, the exploitation of the black culture, and experience through film and media. We'll also dive into the cast, the subgenres, the TV shows, and the music. Outside of the films, we'll view some critical signs of the time and what these stories meant then and now, from entertainment to society to economics. The Groove Pavement. Can you dig it, sweet mama? Sue, I am Sean Strong And I am Dakaris McLaren And this is The Groove Pavement We got five movies like I said We're going to be talking about The Cool World Which was 1963 Which, yeah, it was a documentary type We're going to get that into a little bit And we also have Black Like Me which was 1964. Yep, yep. And the Black Klansman, which y'all all know. It's 1966. But y'all may not know that there was an original one. So, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, like I said, the later one came in 2018. And this, the original one, was uh, a little earlier. And then we, lastly, we only talking about The Klansman, which was a great movie. A lot of stuff going on there. 1974. Yeah. If y'all are watching this, I hope y'all are on, on Facebook, uh, The Groove Pavement and Hutsey TV on Facebook. So uh, make sure y'all check that out. Make sure y'all follow us. Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're also on YouTube. So subscribe to our YouTube. Please subscribe. Subscribe. Yeah, so we can get those numbers up. Get the likes up. Get the likes up. We'll be using social media strictly for promoting social media so our full episodes you only going to be able to see it on our website on our website and probably in uh hutsy tv won't we change things hutsy tv is going through uh doing some changes so we're upgrading and definitely you'll see the full episodes social media will just be partials promos and stuff like that because you know how they like to take stuff down when using stuff so and this is fair use the Groove Pavement. This is the pre-black exploitation era. So this was actually before all the the greediness that we know of, the superflies, the shaft, and all that. This was before that. And also, you have to keep in mind what was going on during the times of the '60s. Yes. So 1963. If anybody remembers uh, 1963, if, if you're of a certain age, you know that uh, a lot of pivotal things happened. Uh, one being the assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, a lot of protests were going on, a lot of things like that. So the cool world uh, is is a significant film. A lot of stuff about these eras is, you know, a lot of dynamics, a lot of politics, um, and that helped things evolve. So the the motion picture industry, you know, was going through some shifts, and, and you're gonna see in a couple of these movies. Uh, like, The Cool World was pretty much like a, a, a doc, doc style. Shirley Clark was the... Shirley Clark was the director, Wiseman Films uh, produced it. Mm. Because of the times, Hollywood was not immune to those times. They, they felt the 
the uh, the pull and the pressure from the uh, social protest uh -huh. uh, from the Hollywood NAACP and then also the Hollywood branch of the uh, ACLU, uh -huh. uh, Marlon Brando, Charlton Heston, yeah. a lot of those um, actor heavyweights threw their support around uh, some of the concerns that uh, the black community had as it relates to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And so Hollywood, based on the financial trouble, um, they had that storm, and then also they had the storm of uh, the protest as well. So they eventually had to uh, give lend their ear to the pressure that was uh, being levied on them from the black community. Mm. And then we also got Black Like Me, which we're not going to show nothing from the cool world, but Black Like Me is an interesting flick. It's, it's actually based on a true story mm. about a guy... A journalist who at the height of the civil rights movement he decides to go undercover and uh put on makeup and pretty much live life as a black man for uh several weeks to take in the black experience mm. can, I, can i back up a little bit yeah the the cool world is significant is be, because of some people are uh the some of the critics say that the, it's the first black exploitation movie yeah there all right is. and then it launches uh, uh several careers uh antonio fargus mm. which i know is huggy, huggy, bear. huggy bear um but he was also on foxy brown shaft all of those the, all of those movies he's mm -hmm. he's one of the great character actors of the time right. uh clarence williams the third was in that movie and that link, that's Link Hayes from Mod Squad. You might uh, recognize Clarence Williams from Tales from the Hood. Yeah. If you watch that and kind of stuff. And Sugar Hill. And Sugar the, Hill. Is Willie Snips, I mean, uh, Wesley Snipes' uh, yeah, father. Huh? Romello's Pops. Yeah, yeah. All right. And uh, also, Ronnie Clanton is in that movie mm -hmm. as well. And you may recognize him from uh, The, the Education of Sonny Carson. But also... Little known fact, if you've ever seen the movie Death by Temptation, mm. Ronnie Clanton is in that movie too. Wow. Yes. And also the cool world, the soundtrack is done by uh um the horn player. Uh oh the Dizzy Gillespie. Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, He's actually quartet. in it too, right? Quartet. Yeah. I don't I don't know if Dizzy Gillespie is in it, but uh the quartet, the 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 the, the, quartet. the, the quintet, quintet is 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 definitely the that that's the soundtrack of the movie. Right. And he even did an album with that name, The Cool World. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely an interesting flick, you know, because it shows the life of Harlem, the drugs and stuff like that. So I guess that's why they stated. Yeah, it's, it's focusing on the Royal Pythons. They're following mm -hmm. that game in a semi a gang in that semi documentary style. Mm -hmm. And um, it, yeah, it, it's it, it's significant. Also, um, and we we need to say that as well about the Cool World is that it was uh, recognized by the uh, National Library of Congress, mm -hmm. National Film Registry, yeah. uh, for its historicity and its aesthetics. So, um, it's it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, so this is why we include it. Like I said, this is the pre-black uh, black exploitation. So, and the second flick, like we said, Black Like Me. Yes. We're going to get into a couple of clips of those. Very interesting. It's a lot of dynamics. So, you know, mind you, this, uh, you know, one of the things we wonder is like, you know, the <laughs> actors that they chose, they could have chose some uh, good actors, <laughs> or, or, or an appropriate actor for this particular uh, movie. Um, yeah, James Whitmore is a he's a he's a he's an excellent actor, but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the look. I don't know. Maybe we, the look would have been good. All right, that's one of the clips. So, 
this is our second movie, Black Like Me. So definitely check it out. And then there's some dynamics in there. So we just want y'all to hear and see what, what's going on. Fellow by the name of Horton? That's right. You know him? I'm him. Oh, no. You're kidding me. Go on. Then I thought you were the man who never forgot a pair of shoes or a face. <laughs> well, I'll be darned. <laughs> I'm truly a son of a bitch. Now, wait a minute. You can't fool me. You're a colored man, and you've been passing. No. Well, ain't that something? Well, how did you ever? That ain't shoe black. No, no, it's done with drugs and dye and sunlight treatment. Drugs? Pills. Take them. I don't know how they work, but they do. Well, I'll be. Oh, what's the big idea? I want to find out what it's like to be a Negro in the South. You can... No. You gonna be stuck that way, Mr. Horton? No, it'll wear off as soon as I stop taking the pill. The name is John. John, huh? I guess you're really serious. You're the one person who can help me. Me? Yes, you. How come? What can I do? Break me in. Now, after that, I don't want anybody to know, but you can teach me how to, how to act right. Hang around here. I could learn to shine shoes, maybe. You, Mr. Hort. John, excuse me. You're still too well dressed. You got to learn how to act. You talk too educated one way, and in another way, you got to get smarter. Yeah, you're gonna be a problem. You think it's easy being colored? For instance, man comes up and says, I'm here writing an article on race relations. What you say? <laughs> well, if anything I can tell you, sir, I'd be only too glad to help. You're through right now. <laughs> I must have sounded kind of stupid. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> this is actually a journalist wanting to get a feel of what it is to be a Negro during those times. Yeah, I respect this a little more than uh, Slim Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But, um... But yeah, uh, that scene was significant because um, he he got in contact with a local who knew the lay of the town. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like the fact that he consulted with him to kind of learn the nuances mm -hmm. of learning how to move within your blackness. It's not just putting on uh, makeup and yeah, changing yeah. your hair a little bit. There's a whole experience to this that we can't take off. Mm -hmm. And so um, he had to be, he had to immerse himself in it. So mm -hmm. also want to add this uh, particular, uh, the, the actor that James Whitmore is opposite is a guy named Richard Ward. Mm -hmm. Richard Ward would go on to star in several black exploitation movies. He'd be in uh, Across 110th Street. Mm -hmm. um, he was actually in the Gordon Parks movie, uh, The Learning Tree. His name was Booker Savage in that, in that, that movie. That's mm -hmm. when I first got exposed to Richard Ward, and then he also was in Mandingo. Mm. Gordon Parks was the first black director of the doing the black sport. Shaft. Shaft. How about another? Huh? No, thank you. You're an odd one, aren't you? 
Don't you like your liquor? Usually you people don't have the same inhibitions that we do. We're all basically pure. You know, we try and give our children a decent set of values. Good education. Our ministers preach sin and hell the same as you. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Still, I, I understand you people have more realistic views of sex than we do. You don't get so damn many conflicts, and that's a fact. There's no real difference, Mr. Maynard. No real difference at all. Thank you for the drinks. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We're just getting started. You have to understand, John, I have a scientific interest. I'm trying to write an honest thesis. Come on, sit down, please. Come on. Tell me, will you? What your research methods are? Do you use open-end questions, subjective tests? <laughs> are you in the field or something? Well, I'm not read a book now and then. And you don't think there's any difference? The point is, Negroes regard sex as a total experience. Anything that makes you feel good is morally right for you. I wish I could live that way. I cannot agree that there is any difference between our morality and yours. Well, how can you debate that? Now, if you'd read the Berkeley study... That's one of the books I managed to get through. Well, then, what about the low value placed on virginity, the large number of illegitimate births, the, the general instability of the Negro family? Now, these are all facts, That may be, but I contend that it's due to environment and not to inherent differences. If you will just compare the sexual attitudes of low-income whites with those of low-income Negroes, I think you'll find a definite correlation. Well, that's exactly the kind of comparison I'm interested in. The trouble is, I usually can't find any of you people to talk to. Half the time, all they do is yazzy you to death, and the rest of the time, they can't even get out of straight That's because <laughs> you question low-income groups and ignorant slobs like me. Him being, you know, disguised as a Negro, he's hearing it from a white guy, uh, his perspective. We, we, I, I, you know what's interesting is that as he takes on the blackness, he kind of takes on the angst and the and the anger with it, and mm -hmm. that's what I uh, I thought was significant is that um, he's he's really truly getting offended yeah. by what this guy is saying because he's he's saying all the um, contradictory, well I should say, racist type of things mm -hmm. without context, mm -hmm. and that's. Part of the problem that we have as black people is that a lot of people are speaking on our issues without any type of uh, historical context or social context. Mm -hmm. And so when you have when you replace or when you take context out, um, you are right for misrepresentation. Mm. Yeah. So there's a lot of dynamics in there. There was some 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 tennis going on, going back and forth. And later on, you know, if you watch it, he ends up. Choking them out. out. Right. Well, the, you know what the reoccurring theme here is, is that every, just about every white person, every white male that he's uh, across from, mm. uh, they are always questioning him about his sexuality. Hmm. Even when he was in the car, remember he was in the yeah. car and the guy was saying, "Have you ever been with a white girl?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so it, it just it just seemed like this was a reoccurring fascination, hmm. you know, with with how we um, navigate our sexuality. Yeah, and so it also makes you think about uh, the movie Birth of a Nation. Yeah, know, absolutely. That was the start of you know putting those seeds out there in people's head that you know you know black men were going to rape white women that was a societal typecasting mm. that they made us all the bigger thomas mm -hmm. in 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 that birth of a nation movie so mm -hmm. we we became one big black guy who could not control his urges mm. um did not want to work lazy manipulative all those things that would persist and and really persist now mm. We're still trying to break away from that. Yeah, so, and you see how media pushes that propaganda as well. So that's, you know, the things that makes people think that 
a certain type of people or a certain way. You know, media is definitely one of the culprits that pushes. So we're going to go on this third scene. And this last scene is kind of interesting. This is when folks find out. Yeah, I like that. I knew there was something phony about oh. you. You got a lot of nerve coming into people's homes pretending you're folks. Take a look at that, Papa. Just take a look at that. Would you let me explain to you, please? Yeah, sneaking in here all painted up. Will you let me explain? And I'll let you sleep in my own bed. The other week, when they haul us all in, there wasn't one white man, woman, or child from this town opened his mouth in support. But 29 of us in jail for disturbing the peace. What peace? You know what it would have meant for one white man to support us at that time? And I don't mean just talk. I do now. Why don't you read what I've written before you twist it all around? Because it won't make any difference. That's just words. You'll read what I've written, won't you, Mr. Newcomb? I know you'll understand. Please. Didn't you tell us you were from Shelby, Texas? Or was that a lie, too? Wasn't that where they had that school integration riot in Shelby? Yes, yes, it was. Where were you then? Well, as a matter of fact, what that's were you what I was I had an assignment to do a story on it. It was just straight stuff and factual. Believe me, that's all I could do. One single white man in each county willing to give up his life for justice. You know what a difference that would make? A white Southerner has to know what it's like to be a Negro. Really know. And you know what it's like, huh? After 10 weeks or three months or whatever it is, you know. And I can never know any more than you can know what it's like to be inside my skin. Tom, the point is that we've got to keep trying. So, that blackness on your face, it'll come out funny. You wipe that blackness off? They treat you like a man. We black. In a white man's country. There ain't nothing we can do about it. If you don't understand that, you don't understand nothing. Black like me. 19... 1964. Very interesting movie. So we definitely... Uh, you should definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. Uh, it is online. A lot of the stuff you can find online. Yeah, it's actually on YouTube. I want to point out that... Um, there's a few people in there. There's Roscoe Lee, Lee Brown. Uh -huh. um, he's a you know kind of a popular act. He wasn't so much black exploitation, but uh -huh. the, his his voice his uh, his look too. The, his was look the, was was very distinctive. Forehead. And then also Sorrel Brook, uh, Sorrel Book, who was Boss Hogg from the Dukes of, Dukes of Hazzard, uh -huh. was also in that movie. So oh, cool, cool. Black Like Me, so definitely check that out. Uh, very interesting. It has a lot of different, uh, uh, you know, points. And, you know, like like we mentioned, it was a journalist actually did this during the, the 50s. Uh, we are going to our third movie. Which uh, is The Black Klansman. The Black Klansman. So most of us know Black Klansman, uh, John Washington, and Spike Lee joint. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Well, who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. 
I hate Jews, Mexicans and Irish, Italians and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. But there's actually an original which was in the 60s, 66. 1966. But they have different storylines. He's a very, well, it's it's a white guy playing a black guy, but uh, he's a very fair-skinned black man, black jazz musician in L.A., has a different life uh, from from Turnerville, Alabama. And uh, he's... He's he's he has a white girlfriend in L.A. and he finds out that the Klan is uh, has killed his daughter, and so he comes back into town and he infiltrates the Klan. He's posing as a white man, and he he infiltrates the Klan to get revenge on behalf of his daughter. And, and like we mentioned, like a lot of the movies at the time had multiple names, you know. So this movie was also called I Cross the Color Line. Um, very interesting that. You know, you, the black Klansmen and I crossed the color line. Mm-hmm. So there's different dynamics. We talked about that. I guess it may have been a overseas thing. A lot of times when they the same movie be filmed or, or be uh, distributed overseas, they'll they'll change the name. Um, but it's definitely different from the main uh, the the most known black Klansmen, which was the uh, Spike Lee joint. Yes, and Spike Lee joint. Is based off a true story. Yeah, it's based on Ron Stallworth, who infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan in uh, Colorado. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like a biographical tale. Okay, some of the clips from uh, the original Black Klansman we're going to show and talk a little bit about that. We've discussed this marriage business so much, my jaws hurt every time it comes up again. Let's face the facts. You know what happens when you mix nitro and glycerin? Well, I don't want a bunch of two-legged time bombs running around my door. Do you consider yourself a time bomb? What's that got to do with it? Well, I think it's pretty obvious there's been some mixing somewhere in your background. And it hasn't hurt you any. I'm still a Negro, baby. I'm still a Negro. You know what they say about one drop of African blood. Aren't you contradicting what you just said about mixing? I don't give a damn about contradictions. We're not talking about some abstract problem in logic. We're talking about the hard facts related to love and marriage and kids. Kids? I'd like that. Yeah, yeah, sure you would. You'd just love to take one of my kids home to see its grandparents, wouldn't you? Well, hell, baby, you wouldn't be able to go home yourself. Your past would be dead, you know that? Your life would start from the moment we... So, that is the main actor who was supposed to be... (laughs) Black or half black, and uh, he's... You know, he has a percentage of blackness. Yeah, there's, and there's uh, multiple degrees of that. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny how society, um, this society, is obsessed with color, mm. and um, varying degrees of blackness is is how they determine how they would treat you. Mm. So I just want to read some comical stuff to you. Uh, if anybody doesn't know what a mulatto is, it's a person that's mixed race, obviously, but they are half black. And half white, mm. um, which most gen- people know that term. Yeah, uh, but genetically doesn't make sense because you know if you study you know Mendel and all of that you know it, I don't know if there's a half and half type of situation. But then it goes to uh, quadrone, which is uh, you are one fourth or twenty five percent black. 
And then it goes it goes even more uh, ridiculous. Octoroon. Octoroon means that you're one eighth black. They can go all the way down to one sixty fourth black. Dang. Wow. You know, so that's a uh, Sang Meli. 164th black. I don't know how they would be able to determine that at that time. Huh. How would you determine if I'm 164th black and how would that even show up? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the lightness of your forehead or something. It depends on which way the sun is. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a little different. I don't know. All right. Uh, but yeah, the, the movie is, you know, during you know, it had some KKK stuff in there too. So, and this, which is why it pushes this guy who the guy that you saw the main actor to do stuff at at the end which yeah. you know we're not going to tell the whole movie we just want you all to get some premise of what's going on and these eras and these movies that later on like we say uh, that pushes up into the actual era and and you know he's he's acknowledging even though he could probably pass mm -hmm. he's acknowledging that you know I'm, we're still going to have difficulty in this society. It's not just as simple as no one gets married right. in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, marriages are very political, even though we feel that they're very personal. But a lot of society has everything to do with the choices that we make, mm -hmm. who we sleep with. Mm -hmm. You know, so all those things he's considering and he's he, he's from the South. Mm -hmm. So even, but you know, bi biracial relationships was... Even worse, so you know there wasn't no mixed relationships. You know that was just open out during these times. White, white. Yeah, I could pass for white. Hair, credentials, money. You know, it, it reminds me of Imitation of Life. Yes. And since where the girl, she didn't want to pass even though her, her mother was black. Uh -huh. And that, I think this was, and that movie was earlier. So in this particular guy, this guy is a, a percentage of black and he knows he can pass for white because it can work for him. Yeah. So he's not ashamed of his blackness here, but he takes advantage of the fact that he is white mm -hmm. um, or he has whiteness to, to infiltrate the Klan. Mm. All right, so this this next clip. The gentleman at the bar, his brother, was also killed the same night as uh, Jerry Elwood's uh, daughter was. Right. Um, and he was trying to integrate a cafe downtown uh, when he found out that the civil rights bill had passed. Mm. So he said, you know, I want a cup of coffee at the city cafe. So he goes down and he winds up getting uh, killed. Uh, by the clan, mm. and so his brother is trying to figure out how to get you know revenge, how to how to um, how to how to avenge his brother's death. And what he does is he calls some guys from Harlem to to help uh, get some get back on, on the clan. Mm. All right, and it's very interesting, and and make sure you you guys uh, pay attention to who the actors are. Yeah, because uh, they you know a lot of these actors that we were seeing you know will become later on staples. So this is their beginning. This is their come up. Now you all know what's been going on around here in the past few days. You all know that the authorities have done nothing about the situation. You all know that we have not been treated like human beings. And what does it mean to be treated like a human being? 
It means being treated with some respect. But how do you get it? You command it. And you can't command anything unless you've got what it takes to make it stick. False! That sound reasonable, Joe? Sounds reasonable, Farley. Ever try to figure out what force was? Or where you got it from? <laughs> of course not. If you had, you would have thought of it long before I did. And man, it's so simple. Just like ordering from Sears catalog. <laughs> I got hold of me of one of those New York newspapers. And I found out who handled the stuff. And I ordered me some. And here he is. Raymond Estes. You're all a bunch of cowardly Uncle Toms. You don't deserve to be saved. But I'm going to save you anyway. In 48 hours, I can have you all crawling off your knees with a snarl in your teeth that can be heard all the way to Washington, D.C. Look at you! If your proud ancestors could see you now, they'd spit in your cringing faces. Your forefathers were proud men, proud men. Follow me for 48 hours, and you'll never have to follow anybody again. Don't misunderstand my purpose for being here. I am not a crusader. I create crusaders. I'm a professional. I work for two things, money and my self-respect in that order. Hopefully, y'all know who that guy is at the end who speaks last because he, he's definitely a staple in, in the black exploitation era. Yes, that is the incomparable, legendary Max Julian mm -hmm. uh, of the, the Mac. Mac. Also, Thomasine and Bushrod. And also uptight. Mm, very classic. So that scene has some dynamics because he wants to, you know, get get these other brothers to change, but mm -hmm. some of these brothers, well, I like mean, in the I, middle. I mean, and you know, when I, I used to teach history, I used to teach history in um, in the Dutchess County Jail, mm -hmm. and the hardest thing I was trying to get them to understand is, you know, everybody has uh, they play Monday morning uh, quarterback with history. Well, I would have did this and I would have did that. And I was saying, you can't, you, you, you don't know what it's like to not have anywhere to go uh -huh. in black society when the police department, the judges, your politicians, all of these people might have ties to the Klan. Huh. Even as far as the FBI. So when, you, when something happens to your community, they just did it. You know, and, and with little to no recourse. And then, you know, we saw what happened with uh, with Emmett Till in 1955. Uh -huh. uh, they, they were identified. It was it was obvious what happened. And um, I don't even think the jury took an hour to deliberate. Uh -huh. And they felt so these were the kind of things. So when people say, well, I would have did this and I would have did that. You have no idea the kind of fear and the kind of pressure that those people are under. So it's, it's easy to say from somebody from up north right. to say, well, uh, you shouldn't take this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, no, I'm going to take it because 
I need to survive. Right, and and that was the difference between uh, blacks from the south and, and blacks from the north because they, you know, their lifestyle was so different and their conditioning was different. Yeah, there was st- there was oppression. The the, the 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 conundrum that people have in the north is that we know that racism exists, uh-huh. but we can't put. It, it's hard to prove, so there's more plausible deniability. Where in down south. There was no question. Uh-huh. It was overt. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things that I thought uh, I should bring attention to is remember the name that he called, uh, Max Julian's character calls everybody. He says, you all got, all of you are cowardly Uncle Toms. Uncle Tom is actually a misnomer. Yeah. Uncle Tom, uh, the character is from a uh, book, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin from Harriet Beecher Stowe. Uh-huh. Uncle Tom is the protagonist and the hero in the movie. Uncle Tom is the one that, instead of brutalizing his own people, he would rather take the abuse himself. The the person that they're really referring to, or, or the misnomer that has been has persisted in the black community for years, is Uncle Tom. So when someone calls somebody an Uncle Tom, they're you know pretty much calling them a sellout. But there was an Uncle Tom, or there was a sellout in the in the uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe uh, book, and his name was Sambo. So why are we calling people Sambo? So why are we not calling people Sambos when they sell your people out? Well, we got to change it up. You Sambo So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And this last scene, still on the scene, bar scene, is a scene that you thought was very interesting. Yes. Um, Grady, he, he about to get busy. Grady going to talk Grizzly for a hot <laughs> second. He was about to get busy. Grady told him, get up out of here. And yeah. he pulled the shotgun out on him. Mm-hmm. So definitely check that movie out. That's the original titled Black Klansman, also known as I Cross the Colored Line. That was, that was a, I thought that was powerful because uh, there were black business owners that were successful back then mm-hmm. that secretly funded the movement, uh, like G.H. Yeah. Gaston, people like that. Mm-hmm. And he, he wasn't opposed to helping, he just knew that this was going to be trouble adding those two guys to the mix. Uh-huh. And what he was saying was, you know, you're going to you're, you're willing to integrate and pay twice the amount to be where you're not even wanted. Hmm. And that was one of the things that, you know, my my mom, my mom and dad, my mom actually sat in one time, hmm. um, you know, when she was in Florida. Um, but that was one of the things I had the hardest time understanding was why are we trying to go someplace where we're not wanted? Hmm. And um, as I got older, I, I understood that it wasn't just the segregation; it was just the um, it was the it was the restriction on rights as well. We took a look at three of the movies thus far. Uh, we talked a little bit about The Cool World, Black Like Me, the original. Black Klansmen. So at this minute, we're going to take a little break, a little spot from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered about creative energy? About how it's channeled and molded into masterful works of art, music, poetry, sculpture, fiction, dance, or drama? Every creative has a story. And at Speak On It Podcast, we get the makers to talk about the passion they have for their craft. Speak On It is where the creatives tell their stories about what they do and why they do it. Listen on iTunes, Google, Spotify, iHeart, 
and wherever else you find your podcasts. Hudsy, a localized storytelling platform and the concept of platform cooperatives based on a vision that merges democratic ownership and governance with cutting-edge technologies. The platform cooperative model points the way towards a fairer, more equitable sharing of resources, equity, and attention with the goal of empowering local communities. Hudsey, we're taking back our stories and our media, one town at a time. All right, so this last movie in this first part of the pre-black exploitation era is The Klansman. Yeah. This movie has a lot of stuff going on in it too and uh some guys that you you may be familiar with as well yeah 1974 film by terrence young he actually acquires the rights to the screenplay um and it was actually uh based on a book called the burning cross hmm. by uh william bradford huey and terrence young bought the rights to to make it a movie hmm. and um Pretty much, the, it, it's about a local local sheriff that's trying to keep the peace uh, in the town. But, you know, peace, absent justice, is not peace at all. It's just the calm before the storm. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that uh, there's a, uh, a, a white woman that's going to get raped by a black guy. Mm-hmm. And the, the KKK, which is presiding over that, 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 that small Alabama town, uh, decides to, to go on a rampage mm. and it's going to set off a black vigilante in response mm. to their response. And the end, uh, the end is interesting too. Yes, it because, is. Because uh, you see some, uh, it seems like they may have been on the same team because of, uh, you know, the ideology. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. So this first scene, this is actually the actually opening scene. Which is very interesting. You find it interesting, right? Yes, I do. Why so? Why? Because um, my father's from Smithfield, North Carolina. Mm, North Carolina. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, country North Carolina. Mm. And uh, one of the things that uh, he grew up by the Noose Noose River. My father didn't have running water until he got here up to Newburgh at at age 15. Mm. All right, so he lived by the Noose River and one of the uh, one of the signs over his city back then was "Welcome to Clan Country." Wow! So that was his that was his reality. His life was totally segregated until age fifteen, mm. when he comes up here to live with my uncle. Mm. And so when I when I see sounds uh, signs, your uncle in the was, south, was the name Tom, was it? Um, my uh, I did have an uncle named Thomas, by the way. <laughs> okay. That's no lie. <laughs> hey, Uncle Tom, can you pass me? But he was no sambo. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know.
that's, you know, the title of the song in the name of good Christian people. And the movie is called The Klansman. And that's what I'm saying. This movie has some heavy stuff in it. Yeah, uh, I, I wanted to bring everybody's attention when the when the clip first opens up. It says, welcome to Wallace Country. Mm. If you didn't know what Wallace Country was, Wallace Country is the state of Alabama. And that's a nod to the segregationist governor, George Wallace. I'll give you a quote from George Wallace. Because he was one of the main gatekeepers, one of the, you know, I would say the sentinel for uh, the segregated way of life in the South. Uh -huh. During his 1963 inaugural address, he says this, in the name of the greatest people that have ever trod this earth, I draw a line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny. And I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. Hmm. So so when you, when you saw a sign like, welcome to Wallace country, uh, you might want to keep driving as a black person. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I told you both of my parents are from the South, right? Right. Well, when we would go down South for family reunions, I never understood until I got older why my mother would cook all night. She would cook all night, make cakes, fill the cooler up, and we would go down. But we wouldn't really stop anywhere except for like a rest area. Mm -hmm. And what my mom would later tell me is that because when she was a little girl, there were certain areas down south that they could not stop. Mm -hmm. So I had an uncle that was a Tuskegee Airman. Mm -hmm. And um, he, had to, he, had, he had to give his wife the gun when he would go to a gas station or whatever. And there had to be, there were, there were specific towns that you could stop. If anybody knows what this book is. You ever saw the movie, uh, I th what's his name? Marisa Mar Ali. Marisa Ali. The Green Book is based on this. This was the Uber guide of your day. If you mm -hmm. you were if you were black and you wanted to know how to navigate, there were there were there was a guide that helped you know where you could stop and what businesses would actually patronize. Mm -hmm. So this was our this was our Uber guide back in the day. I actually owned three of these, mm -hmm. and this was this was a part of my mom and dad's reality. Mm -hmm. So I carry that with me. Huh? And um, I, I make it my business to know what it is that they went through. And I'm going to tell my son the same thing, that that wasn't that long ago. Mm. And good, uh, the, the Green Bug was a good movie, and, and, and it shows some dynamics between him and his driver. Uh, this, this, this next scene is pretty much going to tell itself. Uh, you just got to watch it and then, you know, get a feel of what y'all think of it. And this is in the church. And they gonna talk about some stuff, and you guys are gonna hear it, and you're gonna see how you absorb it. Of them, the way of truth will be reviled. Oh Lord, give us a sign so we may know what we must do, and grant us the strength to do it. Amen. We stand alone, besieged by God's enemies. Our once Christian nation is being delivered to the godless. We are losing our young people. Look around you. They are not here. They have banished themselves from their righteous company. 
Just as God's altar has been banished from those schools bearing the mark of the black beast are being forced into the innocent fellowship of our children. As devoted parents and patriots, we must stand up for Jesus. And Ella, Disgusting. I can smell nigger on her. I can truly smell nigger on her. Get out! Get out! Get out! Get out. Phil! How can you push yourselves on these good Christian folks after being in that nigger's please, foul please, embraces? Please, will the, congregate, will the congregation please be seated? But she don't belong here. I think I'm gonna faint. You have any Christian decency in you, you will leave. I'm waiting. You blame me for what happened. As though I did something filthy. But you're the filthy one. You fine Christian people. Let's get out of here. I wish I could forgive you as our Lord forgave his enemies. They're just trying to bother you. Come on. I can't. And I never will. This is the lady that got raped by a black guy. She goes to church, and they wasn't feeling her. All right, so there's so much to unpack here. Mm -hmm. um, the Klan is a Christian organization. Yep. I, I think that needs to be pointed out, and, and, and that's what's going to be contextual for this part of the conversation. The Klan was uh, influenced by... Uh, this is a publication uh, called the Anthropology of People, mm. um, but it was it was it was known back in 1891 as the Caucasian. And uh, what they did is they they took social Darwinism, mm. they took uh, biblical canon, and they mixed it into this mytho kind of racist type of uh, narrative. Mm. And uh, their whole the Klan's whole goal is for a pure white Anglo-Saxon nation. All right, so they were anti, they were anti miscegenation. For those who don't know who miscegenation is, it's the mixing of races, mm -hmm. intermarrying, intermixing of races. So they had, so they, there was, there's, so they, they, they grab biblical canon and they have sort of this racial exegesis of, of biblical canon. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of three schools of thought that, you know, they kind of wrestled with. One, uh, is mono, uh, or I should say, monogenesis, which means that all races evolve from Adam and Eve. Mm. Well, that doesn't fit well with the clan narrative. So then you have polygenesis. That fits better with their narrative. Mm. So polygenesis is that uh, white people derived from Adam and Eve, and there were other races that were here before. So the white races come from Adam and Eve, and those are the best people on earth, okay? Mm. Um, and then there was evolution and biology, and they just kind of throw that out the window. But those, those prevailing thoughts kind of uh, controlled how they felt about it. So what are some of the biblical justifications for the Klan feeling the way that they feel about black people? I'm so glad people asked. <laughs> okay, Thanks, so Christ. Genesis 9, right? Genesis 9 tells the story of Noah, and his three sons, and after they, after uh, you know, God saves them, uh, Ham 
which is supposed to be the progenitor of black people, mm. mocks Noah in his drunkenness and his nakedness. And as a result, when Noah comes to himself again, he curses Ham's son, Canaan. The problem with that is that Noah and his wife, they, well, the Shem, Ham, and Japheth have the same mother and father. Now, me and my brother have the same mother and different fathers, and we look alike. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't Japheth and Shem kind of look like Ham? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's the clan, so they're ignoring that. So, <laughs> so, so the, reason, the reason why Genesis 9 is important is because it, it, it provides the justification for slavery. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people say, well, it's in the Bible, but no one really explains why uh-huh. they justify it. Here's the other school of thought here. All right. So you have this school of thought called British Israelism. All right. British Israelism is basically uh, white people are saying that that are that that kind of align themselves with the clan is that after after King Solomon dies and his son takes over. There's a civil war between the Israelite camps, and they split off into ten, and and there's two. So, uh, some people think that the after the Assyrian, uh, I say, invasion mm-hmm. and the exile that takes place afterwards, uh, those people go into Turkey, uh, Greece, southern Russia. Uh, they also go into um, Western Europe, and eventually the British Isles. And so what they feel is that those those uh, those white people are the, a part of the ten lost tribes because they never made it back to Israel. So what you have is a racial exegesis of canon, but what really what it is is a an isogesis of of biblical canon. When you exegete, you interpret you you you're trying to interpret critically what scripture means or what a text means. When you isogete, you're pretty much putting on your suppositions, your biases, your agenda into it. Mm. So really what the Klan did is they, and it's kind of creative, they created this whole narrative so that they can have this pure white Anglo-Saxon nation. And they used the Bible to do so. Hmm. Very interesting. And then, you know, with all the other stuff, you know, we got the political stuff. And mind you, we're, we're showing you movies, so this is entertainment, this mm-hmm. is media. So all these underlining things is purposeful, which we'll talk about, uh, talk about when we uh, wrap up. We got and, this. And, and, you know, like, I, I have to say that it's really shameful how they treated that young lady who was raped. Mm-hmm. And it was all because they, they treated her like a pariah because of the unforgivable black stain that was on her. Mm-hmm. And I guess, and, and you know, go back and see the movie. Anybody that's watching, go back and see the movie because they wanted her to live her life in prote- perpetual shame and, uh, and, and, and sadness because of what happened to her. So the fact that she held her head up mm-hmm. uh, must, have, must have been like, oh, well, well, did you like what happened to you? And so what she's trying to do is move on with her life, and people are treating her like she's got a scarlet letter on her head. Uh, and, and even her husband left her. Yes. So, uh, we just throwing some, you know, stuff out there that... All in the name of good Christian people, like uh, Mavis Staples was singing. In the beginning. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got this other scene, and this may be our uh, last scene, or we probably got a couple more. All right, so we're going to check out this next scene. This is talking about, you know, with the sheriff. So this also... Um, 
one of the questions I was asked in the, in the past was, what was the purpose of slavery? And been told by a history teacher that it was strictly economics. And, uh, you know, a lot of these things, you know, some people may not grasp it, but, you know, just say if you owned a Walmart and, you know, you had a thousand employees and they worked for 10 years, but they never got paid. Your profit is crazy. Yeah, real crazy. Why the hell did you take Nancy Poteet up to Brex? Ain't you got enough on your hands? You keep rolling these good country people, come next election, you're going to be flat out on your ass. So who are you going to put in, Butcott? He's already set the brother-in-law business back 20 years. At least he don't make so damn many waves. Track, you're the best sheriff this county ever had. But you don't know any more about business than a hog knows about Sunday. The growth and well-being of this county depends on business. But what's that got to do with Nancy Poteen? It's got to do with race relations. Well, everything does. You're rocking the boat, you know. We got this conflict. Now the blacks are moving north. They're going to Chicago. They're joining the army so they can get a $1,500 bonus. Then they can go to Germany for two years and just wallow in that crotch snatch and become ski instructors. And what happens to me? I got to replace them with whites. But no self-respecting white will do grunt labor for what I pay the niggers. I can't make no money out of relief checks. That's all that'd be left. First thing you know, I'd be up there on the mountain with Breck, sitting in a rocking chair, joined with a bunch of old shines. Shit. You're cutting your own throat, too, you know. That's right. There's a black majority in this county. What's going to happen if they decide to run old Junior here for sheriff? Where'd you be then? Where'd you be with your gift house from the grateful county people and your gift car and your kid going to West Point? <laughs> Got you where it hurts, don't I? And don't look at me like I'm the heavy, because I'm not. If you want to know who the heavy is, I'll tell you. It's the system. And we're all of us caught up in it. It's the system, guys. That was deep. Yeah, the system. It's a lot of stuff deep. in there. Lots to unpack there, too. Mm. You want to start? <laughs> like, here, here you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like I mentioned, you know, the underlinings of slavery, you know, if if they were to move, that's what we talked about before. We mentioned about the difference between the uh, north and the south. But those who are, you know, who had plantations, like, you know, they was baking cake and they had generational wealth because of the labor that they made. And, you know, you had police, which most people know police were put in place to protect, you know, keep the slaves in check. And, you know, it's just like, hey, if they were to leave, you know, this is going to be a discomfort for us. You know, so it's a lot going on. So and this is right here. And I, I know a lot of us haven't seen this movie, but you, you should check it out. You know, and a lot of people think slavery ended in 1865. It did not. All right. Slavery changed clothes. And so I'm a product of that. Like I said, I'm a product. Of, we talked about this um, months ago. I said, I'm, I'm a product of the Great Migration. I'm a first generation New Yorker. My parents were Southern, and my grandfather was actually a sharecropper. And uh, my mother, my grandmother was actually a domestic. 
And so when I see scenes like this, I, I, I'm, you know, it, it hits me hits me different. All right, because a lot of my my relatives that had to come up north were were uh, kind of forced out of the south uh, due to the system and due to um, the uh, challenges that they faced there. But what what's what's important to know here is how dependent the South was on black labor at one time. Uh. And then when those blacks go to go up north, they kind of make they, they, they're able to make somewhat of a life for themselves. But by the 1970s, if you notice the neighborhoods uh, where the black people live, these urban centers start to become deindustrialized. Uh. So I think, you know, that, that systemically it kind of took the te- teeth out of uh, of the movement when you take that economic component out of it. Uh, it's all economics, right? It's all economics. All right, so this next scene is a, a different dynamic and there's a contrast with ourselves. Yeah. And, our, and our guy is in there, Arrental. Uh, if y'all know who Arrental is. OJ. Let's keep driving. What are you trying to do? Kick some asses, baby. What's the point of busting up a peaceful meeting? What good's a peaceful meeting? It's for them bourgeois Negroes. What you gonna learn anyway that all that marching gonna get you is what you got screwed? And don't you know you gotta keep violence out of the movement? You know, if I was a honky, I'd want niggas to all be just like you. Do nothings. Always marching them dumbass marches and mouthing them dumbass slogans. Ain't that right, boy? Hey, boy, I'm talking to you. Yeah, Sure. Let me out of here. You're twisted. Twisted? You're the ones twisted. Hey, you think your man here, you think he's the one that's responsible for you having that job in Chicago? I tell you, got it for you, baby. It was your brothers. You know the ones in Watts in Detroit on, on them roofs with them Molokov cocktails and them grease guns? Hey, they're responsible, baby. Because the only thing the man understands is this, violence. You're crazy. She's right. Now, you may be some kind of John Brown up on that hill of yours, but you ain't shit here. You're just a peg leg honky with a gun in his head. You dig? Now, look at you, huh? What's the matter with you? Look at him telling you what to do. They want to keep suckers like you around to serve on them dumbass advisory boards or some urban renewal committee. Yeah, you play your cards right, you end up owning an apartment building, then raising a rent on us niggas who make it possible. He don't give a shit about you. All he cares about is they hung his great-granddaddy. What do you want with all your killing? Same damn thing you want with all your marching. Only history proves my way works. Your boy there, he's a reader. Ain't he told you about the revolution fixed to go off around this world? You done heard about the revolution, ain't you, boy? Yeah, there's a revolution going on. Well, I'm a part of that revolution. The revolution of the oppressed minority. Well, you've got to be organized. Don't you at least know that? I'm an organization of one. Headquarters, you might say, for the revolution in Atoka County. And you mean that's how the line is drawn? White on one side and black on the other? Hey, not when they raped you. Didn't you fight back? Yeah, now you're learning. 
OJ. Bars. Yeah. Bars. You felt a little different. <laughs> and they're just still folks that do feel like how OJ feel. You know? And so. Yeah, so so OJ goes Christopher Dorner in this movie. He yeah. goes he goes Django Unchained before Django Unchained. Yeah, he actually goes to a funeral uh-huh. and busts him some shots. Yeah. At the funeral. Yeah, this is not Nardberg from the Naked Gun. This is this is a different OJ right here that you're not used to seeing. This is before the glove. Also, <laughs> you know, the juice. So that was our five movies. Uh, we had The Cool World, Black Like Me, The Black Klansman, the original, and the 2018. We just brought that up because most people just know that name. And this last joint, the Klansman, which has a lot of dynamics of it. Like I said, this is the pre-black exploitation before we get into black exploitation. So we just had to, you know, have something before it so we can get into it and create some awareness of it. Um, so what do you think of these movies? It, it, it has a common theme, you know, uh, if y'all all put it, put it together, you know, the KKK is in a couple of these movies and like we mentioned if you know about how the hollywood started the industry you know you had some jews who started it but then how blacks were put in the film they were you know used for certain purposes song and dance yeah so which we talked about before so uh it's just very interesting about these actually these particular movies we just talked about these particular movies because when we get into the 70s, it's starting to feel a little different, but you know what's underlying. Okay. Uh, you, you know, for the for the Klansmen, a lot of times when I, I don't just look at movies for the entertainment value. Right. I look at it for, you know, what are you trying to say to me? Mm. And so with a with with a with a writer or a director, you have a voice. And what it, what are you saying through these characters to me? What is your attitude? What is your opinion? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that stuck out to me was how how he put the conflict. There was there was there was always tension between black man and black woman, and they always did that. And the pre, there was always somebody white that was present, and they were able to argue out and hash out their differences. And I, I just want to ask a rhetorical question. How many of those people, those other communities, have these arguments in front of you? Mm. That's all I want to know. Mm. I want that to sizzle in your spirit. Sizzle. Because a lot of these arguments, a lot of these, these and, you know, because every, every community has these, these kind of discussions. Mm. But they don't have them in front of you. You have them in front of them. Yes, and that's what also maybe asks the question, like, why did they make these movies? Yeah. You know, what... You know, for them to have this dialogue, you know, it was thought up, you know, it's preconceived and, you know, it, it, now it has a stage, these words. And then going into the 70s, why did they, you know, put these individuals in these particular places? So it's just very interesting to find out, you know, how these things came about, the writing and stuff like that. So, again, I'm Sean Strong. And I am Dakaris McLaren. So make sure you all follow us on social media, our Facebook page, our Instagram. We're on YouTube and we'll be on SoundCloud as well as Hutsey. Make sure you all follow and like Hutsey TV, the Facebook and Instagram as well. So please check that out. We're going to end this out. 
on this bumper. Y'all know what it is. The, the Groove Pavement. Podcast, talk show, and movie review. Where we break down the black exploitation era, the cinematic genre, the exploitation of the black culture, and experience through film and media. We'll also dive into the cast, the subgenres, the TV shows, and the music. Outside of the films, we'll view some critical signs of the time and what these stories meant then and now, from entertainment to society to economics. The Groove Pavement. Can you dig it, sweet mama? I can dig it.